Jesus, you reign over all things, and that includes you reigning over us, and you make all things new through your love. So pray that you would, in these next few minutes, silence the voices of our culture, help us to hear, not from anyone, not even from me, but just help us to hear your word to us through scripture in a way that changes us. So we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, in a, in a speech class in college, I was taught that the purpose of an introduction is to get the audience to believe that they want to hear what you have to say. So given that the topic of this sermon is sex, I think I've accomplished that. We're talking this fall about how the Ten Commandments are really about freedom. How ten ways that we can thrive in life. Ten ways that we can stay free. And we come to the Seventh Commandment. Do not commit adultery. And the reason for that command is for our freedom. Because adultery causes all kinds of pain. To families, to kids, to spouses, to friends, to communities, and to the people who commit it. Because it never turns out well. And so hearts just get wrecked. But as I've said in each of these commands, each command is like just the tip of the iceberg. And there's a whole lot more underneath each command. And then in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus fleshes out what the Ten Commandments are really about. And that's the second passage you heard, where Jesus expands the scope of this command beyond just adultery to include lust. And what Jesus is driving at is that deep down, the positive heart of this command is, yes, don't, don't, don't commit adultery, don't lust. But there's also a grand positive behind these commands. And that is, God wants us to be sexually whole people. Whether we're married or single, wherever we're at in life, God wants us to be sexually whole, healthy people. Now, before I go any further, just two caveats before I go any further. I know sometimes there are kids here in worship. And just want to, again, like I like was said in the announcement, this is a PG-13 sermon. I'm going to use real words for real things. So kids... If you think that's going to make your parents uncomfortable, take them to the Sunday school, all right? <laughs> then, because that's really who's going to be uncomfortable, right? Then second, I know there's a lot of pain around this topic, and maybe even guilt over past mistakes. And I just want to say, none of us are perfect when it comes to this topic, myself included. And here's what I want you to remember through the whole sermon. God loves you, God forgives you, and nobody is judging you here. Nobody. And God can make us new, and God can make us whole. And that is the positive heart of these two commands, the, the, the seventh command and what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. The positive heart of these commands is we can be sexually whole, healthy people. God wants us to have great sex lives. And I know that feels weird to hear in church because over the years, we preachers have sometimes made it sound like God is against sex. Recently, the University of Nebraska asked incoming Christian students, did your church talk about sex? Only 2% said yes. And some of their comments were kind of interesting. One freshman said, no, because people in my church don't believe in sex. <laughs> Whatever that means. But my favorite was a guy who said, our church is boring. They don't talk about sex, which is good, because they just make that boring too. <laughs> he may have a point. Because that's kind of what preachers have done to the whole topic. Back in the Middle Ages, church officials decided that married couples could not have sex on Thursdays because that was the day that Jesus was arrested. Couldn't have sex on Fridays because that was the day that he died. Couldn't have sex on Sundays, who knows why, nor during Advent, Easter, or Lent. 
So by the time that they were done, there were only 44 days that married people could have sex. Now, some of you hear that and think that sounds terrible, and others might be thinking, wow, where do I get one of those calendars? <laughs> Just putting an elephant in the room out there, right? <laughs> but it proves the point. We Christians have tended to make sex sound sinful. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible celebrates sex within marriage as one of God's best gifts. In the Song of Solomon, for instance, the groom says this to his bride. Your legs are like jewels. Your eyes are the pools of Heshbon. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep coming up for the washing. <laughs> Which means she has clean teeth, okay? Not one of them is alone. Which means she has all of her teeth. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon. Men, don't try that line at home. <laughs> but maybe this one. And your breasts are like the clusters of fruit. And I said, I will climb that palm tree and I will lay hold of that fruit. Spare me your emails. It's in the Bible. <laughs> Can I have an amen? amen. <laughs> All right. Sex within marriage is God's good gift. In fact, it is not just okay to have sex in marriage. It is actually commanded. The Bible says the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. And some of you right now are thinking, I got to read that Bible more, right? <laughs> Honey, look what I read. Now, again, I know it can be kind of awkward to talk about this in church. And, you know, I can see some of your eyes, nervous eyes darting back and forth, you know. If you think it's awkward to listen to this, try preaching it, all right? I mean, I've been nervous all week. But why? We talk about it in our offices, with our friends, in our neighborhood, of all places, we should talk about it here. So I want us to just kind of relax, lighten up, not be so serious, and just kind of listen to what God wants to say. Some of the staff have known I was going to preach on sex all week, so there's been a lot of commentary. <laughs> One staff person said, maybe we should have a warning. Warning, if this sermon lasts more than four hours, seek medical attention. I'm not going to tell you who said that. <laughs> All right, here's the deal. Here's the main point. Sex is God's good gift, meant to get us off of our island of self and be the place where we can be completely transparent, completely vulnerable, and completely accepted. Not just physically, but emotionally, socially, spiritually, everything. And the way God designed it, when we have sexual relations with someone, we are joining our whole selves to that person, not just our bodies. I've told you before about a study done at the University of Michigan that kind of proves this point, where subjects listened to a speech on raising tuition at the university, and one group was told to shake their head yes throughout the whole speech. The other group, shake your head no throughout the speech. The third group, hold your head still. Afterwards, they were asked, what do you think about raising tuition? The group that shook their head yes during the speech, overwhelmingly in favor of raising tuition. The group that shook their head no, overwhelmingly against. The group that held their head still, no opinion. In other words, what we do with our bodies affects our hearts, our souls, what we think, and what we feel. So when we unite our body with someone, we are uniting our whole self 
Or as Cameron Diaz says to Tom Cruise in Vanilla Sky, don't you know when you have sex with someone, your body makes a promise whether you do or not. Which is why God says, save it for marriage. Because to sleep with someone who's not fully committed to you, not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually, legally, financially committed to you, is to risk giving your whole self to someone who may then leave. And the result is that sex becomes less. Did you hear me? Sex becomes less than what God intended it to be. Because instead of being the place where we can be completely known, flaws and all, and completely accepted, it becomes the one place where we have to pretend to be better looking or a better lover or better something than we are or we'll get left. And so in order to protect ourselves from getting hurt, we bring less of ourselves and put up walls. And so sex loses its power. Or someone gets hurt because they've, been, they've given themselves to someone who then left them. Which is why every study ever done, and the media always reports it with this great surprise. What do you know? Every study ever done shows that the people who are most sexually satisfied in life are people who are happily married. Now, single folks, I know you've got a difficult task. Because our culture makes it so hard to find someone to marry. And we're such a hypersexualized culture. I just want to encourage you, though, save sex for marriage for two reasons. One, so you don't get hurt. And two... Because sexual wholeness and purity in and of itself is liberating. Because we're not weighed down by lusts that drive us. And I'll talk about that in a minute. You see, it's not Christianity that devalues sex. It's our culture. And that's what Jesus is driving at in the Sermon on the Mount. When he expands this command, the seventh command, to say, yeah, for sure don't commit adultery because it devastates people. But beyond that, avoid lust, whether that's physical lust or a romantic fantasy in our mind. Because that wrecks lives too. And by expanding the command like this, Jesus, you know, to include lust, Jesus sort of makes it apply to everyone in this room. I mean, he's getting pretty close to home when he expands it that way, right? Because let's be honest. I mean, we all have friends who deal with lust, right? Friends, I have a friend, right? Lust affects all of us. Not just men. Sometimes that seems like a sort of a male sin. No, 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 it's an equal opportunity sin. A woman I know was at work one day, and her colleague's husband brought her flowers. And my friend thought, I wish my husband brought me flowers like her husband just did. And then she thought, oh, her husband is so romantic. Her husband is way more romantic. I wish my husband was as romantic as her husband. And she realized she just committed adultery in her mind. Because the sin of adultery is taking the one part of the person you want and leaving the rest behind, whether that's how they look or that they're more sensitive or whatever, but not committing yourself to the whole of that person, flaws and all. And when she thought about it that way, she thought, would I want my colleague's husband? And she thought, no, he's kind of a jerk, probably why he had to bring her flowers, right? <laughs> now, I am not saying if you want your husband to bring you flowers, you're sinning. I'm not saying that. And I'm also not saying that if you just find someone attractive, you're sinning. That's normal. The Greek word Jesus uses in this text for lust means to look at someone continuously in order to possess them. It's to indulge a fantasy, not just be attracted, it's to indulge the fantasy. I think I've told you before, when I was a college pastor, I had a male student who read this passage, and he said, I think what Jesus means is, it's not the first look that's the problem, it's the second look. So I just make that first look as long as it needs to be. <laughs> no, that's lust. Whenever we indulge a fantasy, whether that's someone we see in a picture or on the street or a romantic fantasy in our mind that we start to churn up when we read a romance novel or something like that. And it messes us up. 
married or single, it causes pain. For one thing, it just builds a lot of sexual frustration that has nowhere to go. Plus, it diminishes intimacy in marriage because no real person can stand up to the airbrushed images of our culture or the perfect fantasies in our mind. Okay, phew. Getting heavy in here, right? It's getting hot. I'm a little warm. Anyway, how do we get free of this? How do we break free so that we can be sexually whole, sexually healthy people, which is the positive heart of this command? Remember, for every thou shalt not, there's a thou shalt. How do we become sexually whole people, whether we're married or single? A couple of things. First, have the positive goal in mind. As I've said before, it does no good to try to not do something. I, I will not lust, I will not lust. What are you thinking about? Instead, have the positive goal in mind. I will be a sexually whole person. I will be free from sexual frustration that comes from indulging in sexual fantasies. I will be free to have, a great, to have great intimacy in marriage. I'm head, have the positive goal in mind. Second, this is from a book called Every Man's Battle. Learn to bounce your eyes and your mind. What do I mean by that? If your eyes land on an attractive person, you know, that's normal, but retrain your eyes to kind of bounce away to look at something else. This will take some time. You've spent your whole lifetime training your eyes to land on that person, right? But it takes 31 days to form a new habit. Try it. Same with your thoughts. If you find yourself indulging in a romantic fantasy, bounce your mind to something else and make sure it's something you like to think about, you want to think about, that's fun to think about. You know, what, your favorite vacation spot, or although if that's Tahiti, be careful where that could go, but, you know, a, a sports, or, you know, baseball. Think about baseball. Something you like to think about. Bounce. It also goes without saying, avoid those things you know are going to be problems that set you off. Whether that's a certain TV show or a romance novel that starts churning fantasies in your head. Or, you know, maybe it means putting software on your computer that reports to several different people questionable websites that you visit. And as I've said before, make sure that one of the people that receives that report is your mother. Right? That'll fix it. Like the old analogy, there's within, within all of us, there's a good dog and there's a bad dog. Feed the good dog and it'll get bigger and stronger. Starve the bad dog and it'll get weaker. Feed what's good in you. Starve the bad desires. And they diminish. Honest. Third, get some help. Talk to a pastor or a counselor. Go to our inner healing prayer ministry. Or call the anonymous hotline that's online or in the bulletin. Fourth, if you're married... Invest in your spouse. Serve them. Share your heart with them. Talk about this. I know it's hard. I know it's awkward. But start investing in them. Spend time together. And I promise you, your feelings of passion will grow. We love what we invest in. Someone who's been married 30 years said to me about their sex life. He said, it's just gotten better and better. He said, it hasn't always been easy. We've had to work at it. But he said, now after 30 years of marriage, his quote was, I can't believe the roof stays on. Well, that's a good comment, don't you think? <laughs> well, I think it's a good comment. Because, he said, because I have learned it's not just about the physical, it's about bringing all of me and all of her together. Invest in your spouse and your feelings of passion will grow. And then, according to what some senior citizens around here tell me, if you do this right, sex can be part of a mar your marriage for a long, long time. Now, they tell me it changes as you get older, but they said, you know, it can be a part of your life. One man in his late 70s said to me, you, you know you're getting older when your wife says to you, honey, let's go upstairs and make love, and you say, I can't do both. 
Well, then stay downstairs by all means. <laughs> the last thing I want to say is this. I know that this is a painful subject for many people, either because you're single and long for this kind of intimacy, or you're in a sexless marriage, or you've made some mistakes in the past. Maybe something's happened that's not your fault. So here's my last point. If you take away nothing other than this, take away this. God can make you whole again. God can make you whole again. And over the eight years that I've been here, I've told you many, many stories of marriages that have been healed even from adultery. And I've told you stories of individuals who have been set free from sexual addictions and sexual wounds and sexual brokenness. God can heal anything regardless of what your deal is. Let me tell you a story about a couple whose permission I have to tell this story. In fact, they would be happy to talk with any of you about their story if it would help you, and I can connect you with them if you want. Brian and Susanna are kind of typical Eastsiders in their early 30s. He works at Microsoft. She's getting her Ph.D. They live in Kirkland, you know, where all the cool people live. So you're kind of typical Eastsiders. And you would never guess their story. You'd never guess, for instance, that Susanna, in her words, was a sex addict. And I told you some of her story last spring. I want to tell you the whole story. She would sleep with a lot of different men because she felt so insecure about herself. And she was trying to feel wanted and desired, but it just left her feeling empty and used and eventually resulted in an unwanted pregnancy. And to talk to Brian, you would never guess that he has struggled with confusion about sexual orientation. Now, I, I, all the oxygen just went out of the room, didn't it? I just boldly went where I have never gone before in a sermon. And I know that that is a hot-button issue, and this sermon isn't about that issue. I've addressed that issue several years ago in a forum. It's online on our website if you want to see what I said. For now, what I'd like you to do is this. Set all the, that issue stuff aside. Because this is a bigger story than just that one issue. So don't get all tangled up in all the rhetoric and the hot button issue. And please don't hear what I don't say. And don't hear what some angry preacher you heard once say. Or don't hear what Oprah once said. Just listen to what Jesus can do. Brian says all of his emotional and romantic desires were for a woman. But he kept having what he called, in his words, physical lust toward men that he did not choose to have. His eyes went to men, but his heart went to women. And that split left him confused. Well, because secrets have power, he decided he would start telling people to free him from that power. So he talked to me. He told several of his Christian friends about it and received nothing from those friends but love, from those Christians but love, and absolutely no judgment, which is how it should be. Now, he knew certainly an option for him was simply embrace the gay lifestyle, but he said, that's not what I wanted. He said it wasn't a guilt thing. It wasn't him trying to hide anything. He said his deepest desires were for a woman and someday children. Well, after wrestling with this for several years, one summer, he finally just surrendered it all to God, which for him meant that he would not act on his attraction to men. And if that meant that he would be celibate his whole life, he knew sex was only one part of life. Life was way bigger than just sex. And that God would provide him with adventure and meaning and purpose and great friends and great community, which is a deeper longing than sex anyway. Or maybe he'd meet a woman and somehow that would work out. But whatever it was, it was up to God. He'd surrendered it. Well, some months later, he was at our young adults group here at the church, and he met Susanna, who was four months into her unwanted pregnancy. They had a brief conversation, and then when she walked away, Brian said to her friend, now why can't I find a woman like that? Which Susanna finds kind of funny since he just found a woman like that. 
Well, a few weeks later, they were on a camping trip with a bunch of other people, and they ended up talking for hours together, and he shared his struggles, she shared, talked about her sexual addiction, and they began to form a friendship. Well, a few months later, they started dating when she was eight months into her pregnancy. To get to the point, they fell deeply in love. Now, they were both scared. Brian wondered if we got married, would the sex thing work out? She wondered the same thing. Plus, in her mind, she was damaged because of her sexual past. Well, Brian walked her through her pregnancy and then walked her through giving the baby up for adoption, protecting her, loving her, being her defender, her shield, her champion in ways she'd never experienced before that made her feel safe with a man for the first time in her life. And Brian found himself attracted to her in ways that he did not know were possible. So they got married three years ago. I talked with them this week to hear their story. And, you know, even after three years, it's very clear they're still in love. I mean, they're still doing things like whispering in each other's ear and all that. So, you know, it's, it's almost sickening, really. <laughs> after three years. And, and so I asked them. I just was blunt. I said, so the sex. Is it working out? You know, I asked them because, you know, not, I didn't need it. But I knew y'all would be curious, right? <laughs> and they both smiled and they said, yeah, that's not a problem, Scott. And then they said, you know, not that everything is perfect. You know, Susanna said, you know, we both still have scars. And she said, you know, sometimes because of my past, I don't want to have sex as often as he does. And I said, I've never heard of that. <laughs> they recently had a miscarriage, so they are trying to work through the pain of that. And Brian says, yeah, sometimes he still has an attraction for men. But he says acting on it is not even remotely interesting to him because he says what I've got is better. And I said, so it sounds like it's good. And they both said, no. It's very good. Susanna said, you know, I slept with all of those men hoping to feel desired and wanted. Who'd have thought God would have healed me this way? She said, you know, I mean, it's just God's sense of humor. It doesn't even make sense, right? I mean, I know, put the insecure woman with the guy who's not sure he's attracted to women. That'll work. <laughs> but she said, it does. He's the only one I felt safe with. Because he wants all of me. My body, yes, but all of me, everything, heart, soul, everything. And for Brian, no, God did not zap him, did not zap him and take away all of his attraction to men. He did something better. He showed him that sex isn't just what we do with our bodies, it's what we do with our whole lives, including our secrets and our shame. And his honesty with Susanna, her acceptance led to love, which led to intimacy, which led to sexual pa passion. And I don't care what your issue is. That's sexual wholeness. That's what it looks like. Brian said, I never knew how beautiful a woman was until I saw her. His exact words were actually a little more Song of Solomon-esque, a little more frank, but that's how I could report it to you. That's the gist. Brian would not say he's cured. He'd say he's finding wholeness and life. There's a difference. And he and Susanna have found God's truth that the best sex anyone can ever have is not about finding the hottest person out there or sleeping with bunches of different people. The best sex we can have is with someone who says, I love you in all your strengths, but also in all your flaws and in all your shame. And I love you so much that I will promise, not just any old promise, I will promise before God, our friends, and the state that I will never leave you. You are safe here. That's sexual wholeness. And there's a ton of pain in their story. Her sexual addiction, unwanted pregnancy, his confusion, but it's also a beautiful story of what Jesus can do. And I know that their story is not going to be your story. We all have a different story. But please, don't blow it off thinking, well, their issue, that's not my issue. Here's the point of their story. It's not about their issues. 
Here's the point of their story. If God can do that with them, well, then what can he do with you? Whether you're single or married, male or female, regardless of your issue, set the issue aside, regardless of your issue, God can make you whole. So will you pray for that? Will you do those things I talked about in the sermon so that you can break free? And I don't care if you've tried a hundred times before and failed, let's make the hundred and first time the beginning of a winning streak. Because here's the promise of Jesus. He can make you whole. And don't let the devil or our culture steal that joy from you. Hear what God, your Father, says to you. He says, I know you've made mistakes. And I know there is hurt and pain and shame, often for stuff you've never, that wasn't even your fault. But I promise you, you are forgiven. You are a new man. You are a new woman. He says, behold, I make all things new. And that includes you. And that's the best news about sex you are ever going to hear. So Jesus, make us whole. Regardless of what our issue is, regardless of what our past is, regardless of our status in life, Jesus, make us whole. And we will give you the glory, and we will point to you and give you our praise and our adoration. We pray this in your name. Amen.